We're proud to announce CISO Stories, a new podcast series in partnership with Cybersecurity Collaborative and Cyber Reason. CISO Stories features the candid perspectives and experiences of frontline senior security executives and dives deep into timely security topics. CISO Stories is hosted by Todd Fitzgerald, VP of Cybersecurity Strategy at Cybersecurity Collaborative, and Sam Curry, Chief Product and Security Officer at Cyber Reason. Listen weekly as they speak with extraordinary CISOs by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash CSP. Welcome back to Security and Compliance Weekly. Hey, if you want to stay in the loop on all things Security Weekly related, go to securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe, where you can find and subscribe to your favorite podcast catcher. You can sign up on our YouTube channel, our mailing list. You can join our Discord server, which is always a great conversation. And I appreciate that from our our loyal listeners for Security and Compliance Weekly. Uh, And of course, we're also on that thing called Twitch, which I still refuse to look at, but I know you young millennials like to look at it. Also, of course, if you've missed any of our previously recorded webcasts or technical trainings, you can find them in our online portfolio, which is found at securityweekly.com forward slash on demand. All right. Um, so I want to jump back into the discussion. I know Scott had some questions. I think Josh has a question in there. I want to level set and frame very quickly because I think PCI, uh, for better or for worse, has influenced a, a lot of this pen testing industry. Uh, and I I think most people would acknowledge that that's saying PCI doesn't help. Uh, when pers- when the PCI data security standard first came out, it just said do a pen test, and it really didn't define it at all. I, as a QSA, as an assessor, or sometimes mistakenly called an auditor, I could accept just about anything. I could accept a, a client running NMAP with particular parameters uh, to satisfy the pen test because there really wasn't some definition. Later on, they came out and said, you know, you know, one of the first requirements is you have have to have a defined penetration testing methodology where you detail, you know, what the pen test is is about, which was great. Um, but most of my clients, most companies that I see, sort of defer to the methodology that's written up in a statement of work when they've gone out and hired a pen test company. Uh, so that's one layer of the problem. The other layer of the problem is. Just in terms of this lack of uh, understanding and distinction, distinction, which which was Scott, I think it was trying to bring out in the first uh, segment. You know, what's the difference between a pen test and a vulnerability assessment and a red team? Um, you know, PCI, for example, uh, requires certain things, and which I think you know a crowdsourcing company might help with and might satisfy depending on where things are but lack of understanding is problem first and foremost uh starting from the top requirement 6.2 is the requirement that requires patching and the language for that is install critical security patches within 30 days of release of the patch then you go on to 6.6 where it talks about uh, doing some sort of protection of web-facing applications, either by doing a a security assessment, a web application pen test, if you will, or having a web application firewall. So even that, it's optional. And in terms of what constitutes a passing security assessment of the web app, they point back to 6.5, which is essentially the OWASP top 10, and they say at least remediate all of those things. But the, the language there is 
correct all the discovered vulnerabilities in that exercise. Then we jump forward to requirement 11, where you get into first the vulnerability scanning, which is 11.2, internal and external. Internal vulnerability scanning, you're supposed to address all high-risk vulnerabilities. The external, which is the ASV scan, which is what most people are familiar with, that's sort of regimented separately and it has its own criteria, but simplistically, it's all CVSS. 4.0 and above scores or medium and higher. Then you get to the penetration testing requirement, 11.3, again, internal and external. And there it says, make sure that you've addressed all the exploitable vulnerabilities that come up during the pen test. Um, additionally, which we, we should touch on at some point, uh, the penetration testing, whether internal or external, needs to be done performed by qualified individuals. So somewhere in the line, down the line, I, I want to ask you, Casey, you know, what constitutes yeah. qualified in terms of who you let you know, participate, your contractors or employees or whatever. And then finally, you know, well, I said finally, exploitable vulnerabilities for the pen test. You've got, you know, depending on how you look at it, it's critical. Depending on how you look at it, it's high-risk vulnerabilities. Depending on how you look at it, it's medium vulnerabilities or um, OWASP top 10, make sure all vulnerabilities are, are, are addressed. And then finally, exploitable. Yeah, clear as mud. Go. How do you do all this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and there's you your do it all. Thank you, sir. Good times. Yep. <laughs> you just do it. It's 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 fine. It's easy, right? Uh, it. Um, I, I I think yeah. With with the with the risk prioritization piece, you know, one of the things that we noticed um, pretty quickly after we we kicked Buckrout off was was this um, you know two things that needed to happen. One was there to be um, kind of this Rosetta Stone to, to help people kind of baseline around risk and, and speak a common language between, you know, the folks that are working on, on the supply side, finding issues and, and, and our customers. Oh, and um, if I can yeah, interrupt real quickly, Casey, just to, just because I, I forgot to mention it and you're, you're saying it and it's very important. By the way, PCI requires you as an organization to define all these terms in terms of your organization. So you as an organization get to define what critical, high risk, medium, low, yeah. exploitable means in the context of your organization. But again, most clients I have, they just simply refer to whatever the result is from whatever scanning technology they employ or you know whatever the pen test report says, which is an extension of whatever the scanning technology has said is the criticality. I, I apologize for not including that, please proceed. No, it's all good. Um, yeah, so so what we did is we created a, a vulnerability, what we call a, a vulnerability rating taxonomy, um, which is mm -hmm. essentially a, a a list. It's pretty much all of the different lists of you know vulnerability classes that exist out there, including OS top ten and and others. It's collapsed back into like a, a, a baseline technical severity, and that at least provides a starting point. Um, you know, to that you can multiply based on temporal risk or impact. Um, that's happening on your end. Uh, you know, really, the purpose of, of doing that was to give everyone like a, a clear starting point based on, you know, the finding of the particular kill chain that they're submitting um, on, you know, the, the the crowd and the hunter side. But then also, I think this is the second reason for doing it, helping you know organizations that we work with answer that question that you were just um, kind of calling out. Like, how do we how do we create a taxonomy? How do we document that? How do we actually assess? 
and, and implement consistent approaches to risk management when it comes to vulnerabilities within our organization. And you know, the, the big thing with the VRT is that we open sourced it. So you know, if there's anything in there, um, and this has come up with different classes over, over time, uh, where we, you know people want to kind of argue the toss on it being more or less severe, that all is a conversation that can happen in public, um, which I think is the right the right thing. Like you know, being able to um, have that conversation be be crowdsourced and and you know open and transparent in terms of how different people approach it and so on. That's that's our attempt to make that you know risk prioritization question a little bit easier, and and that runs through all of the. Um, the different kind of you know requirements that you just called out um yeah with patching it's it's been interesting uh consistently again like you know there's there's bug du jour or, or something you know hectic creates a trash fire on the internet and everyone goes out and patches and loses their weekend um you know what we tend to find is that there's a whole bunch of stuff that people miss so this is kind of the convergence of, of you know the patching requirement and stuff like um you know attack surface management and the idea that organizations have a you know larger than probably accepted um, attack surface that they're not aware of, um, that's something that uh, you know hunters are, are, are very good at finding. You know, in any context, really, like be it a, a pen test that we're running or you know a public bug bounty or a VDP, uh, we've seen that with with a whole bunch of stuff over the past you know eighteen months in particular. Just given you know all the runs that have been done on on remote access software and and you know the the trend towards remote access and people making um, their systems more accessible uh, to to you know the public internet in general. So um, I'll pause there because you know there's like any any way you want to kind of tap into this and kind of lead the conversation. You, you kind of gave me a laundry list of stuff to answer there. <laughs> Sorry about that, uh, Scott. Did as you as have as compliance standards tend to can tend to do right. Yes, I will. Their um, interpretation. I will shortly. I'm formulating the next question now. Okay, so let me, Josh, let me, uh, you, yeah, yeah. you tried to so jump me, in a while ago to take a oh, turn. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, th this has been a great conversation. It really has. I mean, and in, in Discord, we're talking about uh, how, you know, uh, F the press was like, definitions are the framework of IT. Why are this is, why is this, you know, I got, I got the impression <laughs> that that was being asked was, why is this so controversial? And, and you, you'd think so. But realistically, defining what IT and infosec and cybersecurity and whatever uh, do is 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 a massive massive endeavor. Uh, yeah. Scott asked that question before. What's the difference between vulnerabilities, uh, vulnerability assessment, and pen test and red team and you know a purple team and you know somebody's probably got a, a fuchsia team and whatever the hell else. Okay, so yep. then you've got the question of uh, and and uh, Scott, you mentioned P test. Thank you. That was a great point. Uh, uh, they tried to define it. Uh, Nickerson and a few others, and it's still controversial, and it's 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 difficult. So then you know you've got bug crowd, which is in the essence of crowdsourcing, you're trying to develop a level playing field so that anybody who has uh, an iota of skill or talent can play at some level. You know you can mm. you can you can look for the small bugs or you can get better and look for the big yeah. bugs. Yeah, that's right. And and but you have to define a part of the problem is you have to define. What is a little bug? What is a big bug? What are the levels that we price at? What are we, you know, what's out of bounds? Hell, defining the scope is a God blessed nightmare. And, you know, it's, it's the, the definitions of the pieces of this. Uh, so I'm, I'm taking it back to where you work and live and built, uh, Casey, sure. is that 
Yeah. Just defining the scope, defining what is a, a small bug, a, a $5 bug versus a $50 versus a 500 versus a 5,000 versus a, a 5 million. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go along. Dollar bug yeah. is, it's gotta be a bloody nightmare. And, and so then when you talk about that kind of thing, this is where definitions, when you try to, if, if I'm just chatting, I go, oh, I did a vulnerability assessment. Oh, did you test it? No. So, okay. So it's a vulnerability assessment. You know, you, you didn't yeah. test the exploitability. It just looks sort of exploitable. You can come back to but it. But when yeah. I go... No, I, I, I exploited it. That's not a vulnerability assessment anymore. You're really doing some form of a pen test, okay? We can, we can discuss, and, and in our casual conversation, we can make our own set of definitions that are appropriate and reasonable for that conversation. But when you have to put them into legal documentation, into contracts, somebody goes, well, I That's found a bug. I want $5 million. You're like, dude, yep. you found a bug that puts an extra A on the end of every username. Big deal. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like, and I think this goes back to you know Kat's question earlier on around you know people kind of peering in at the community that's forming around this and and getting confused by all the noise. Like, there, there's oftentimes again in the context of a public public bug bounty program, um, you know, debates and and people are pining around. Oh, that thing should have been paid more or less or or whatever else. You know, in reality, it's it's a marketplace. I think for for you know data that can lead to risk reduction on one end of it like that cost or that price is defined by the transaction itself but on the other end of it part of what we've learned and, and what i know very clearly is that you know the better you can align expectations before you get things moving uh the more smooth that conversation is going to be so like there's a balancing act there as well there's a balancing and act and there, there's also a certain amount of uh I mean, it's almost education and awareness of the consumer. Uh, you know, yeah. penetration testing, which is what PCI says you're required to do, however you define it. And me as a QSA comes in numerous times with my customers. I try to explain to them, you know, look, this is an opportunity for you in, in essence to figure out how well you're doing with all the other things. I mean, I, I see it as, you know, the PCI requirements are somewhat linear, even though they, they claim they're not. And, you know, the penetration penetration test is one of the last things you do to test how well you're doing everything else. And, you know, mm -hmm. whether it includes exploitation or attempted exploitation, uh, you know, again, I, 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 I knock PCI, the Security Council, for giving just enough wiggle room in the language to, to make us have to have hours-long conversations about what does it all mean rather than just putting a stake in the sand. But they are very yeah, adverse I mean, you know, to putting a stake in the sand. Yeah, CFEA. Like there's there's all yep. sorts of different you know other other standards that go back in time trying to define um, what's okay and what's not okay what's expected and and, and shouldn't be in our space um, you know CFA is is one that jumps immediately to mind it's like worded quite simply but there's a ton of devil in the detail like once you get to the fringes of it 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 just kind of you oh know, blows so you up, know we've so. got to ask because we just had an episode about that but did the recent uh, uh, um, case about CFA with that police officer change how you do business yeah. Uh, it, it didn't change. It didn't change what we were doing um, materially. Like honestly, it was it was something that we, uh, you know, Buckrad's always been a supporter of of basically, you know, as clearly as possible delineating the the work of good faith hackers as opposed to the malicious, uh, you know, attackers that most of the right. laws were written um, for. So we were stoked, um, you know, the Disclose.io project, which I co-founded with a bunch of other people back in 2016, like we wrote 
uh, letters into the amicus brief. Um, you know, Bugcrowd was a part of that as well. So, yeah, you know, I think everyone was celebrating because, you know, again, like we're back to this idea of it being more clearly defined and, and you know, because it's more clearly defined, it's it's enabling smoother and, and more kind of repeatable process going forward. So, yeah, it, it didn't change, you know, what we're doing to your, to your question directly, but there was a lot of other good stuff. There was definitely some, um, you know, champagne, co- uh, champagne popped in the office that night. You know, actually, so, we're in in Twitch. We're seeing. I apologize, Scott. Let me just add one quick thing. In Twitch, in Twitch, there there's a J Beers Eleven is talking about how if red teaming or bug hunting, this is what vulnerability is as a definition. But blue team and developers might have a fully different definition. And I thought that was a really good point. I just want to throw that in there, Scott. It's yours. Yeah. No, 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 no. I got you. Um. Okay. So. Casey, we've had a really good chance to talk about the esoteric goodness of bug bounty programs, about penetration testing, about the good nature of doing this for either a compliance regulation or for uh, other means of protection, right? Uh, On Twitter, I have somebody that has reached out to me uh, and has asked the following question. This is coming from Jonathan Scott uh, at JonathanData1, and he's asking point blank, Uh, talking about the other side of the spectrum, why the bug bounty programs are continually making critical vulnerabilities as informational, why they're marking them as informational and then immediately patching the vulnerability, then not allowing the researcher to disclose the vulnerability or they will be exited or deplatformed from the program, uh, even though it's a non-issue. And a lot of this is stemming from what's happened recently, not just on bug crowd but also on hacker one uh uh and how can you how can you address that like the the critical identification by people who are doing the work and then them not getting the recognition for the work itself instead getting yeah. smacked off wrist and deplatformed yeah no for sure um so when when we see you know going back to the uh, the, the community management comment that i was making earlier uh Alignment of expectation, then making sure that those those expectations are followed up on. Uh, that that's a large part of of what you know the team does within within Bugcrowd. Like we've got you know all the software and all the data that powers the software to create matches between you know the right people and the right targets and and, and so on. Um, but then there's this group of people that effectively work to to make sure that things you know stay kosher and fair. And, and everyone understands each other uh, as, as, as things proceed. So when there's a misunderstanding or when there's something that we see um, on the, the the vendor side, on the customer side, that isn't in line with what they've committed to do, we'll actually step into the middle of that and, and try to resolve it. Um, if we can't with them, then we'll oftentimes bridge the gap ourselves. So that's that's a very active part. I think this this idea of you know that being rendered as something that constantly happens um, the person who asked that question actually has no way of validating that. They, they can only speak from their own experience. Like the perspective I can speak from is, is you know, watching people and, and, and staying up with, with bug crowders over weekends, trying to burn this stuff down and make it fair for everyone who's involved. So there's that. Um, I think, you know, in terms of, of disclosure and recognition, all those different things, like there is a distinct difference. And I think this is actually you know, pretty confused um, at, at this point, again, in, in the market between, you know, a public program um, where, you know, the origin of, of discovery of the issue is just from people being on the internet and having access to software that they can look at, right? Like that's one thing. On the other hand, you've got, 
you know, a, a specific invite being extended to people to do a specific set of things that has conditions around it in a similar way that you'd expect if you were being brought on as a contractor to do work. And, you know, the expectation is if you're being extended that invite and you're accepting those terms, because you do have the option to not accept them, um, then you're going to follow through, you know, based on that. Oftentimes, you know, if there's additional privilege, uh, for example, like we've done work where we're, you know, we're bouncing around, you know, I mentioned the, uh, the, the source code example before, um, you know, getting dropped off behind the firewall to do internal testing, all those sorts of things. We want to make sure that we've got people uh, in the mix on, on that type of program that, you know, if we say, hey, you can't share, like you have to conduct yourself as though you're a pen tester working for a consulting company. Can you do that? Um, we put a lot of work in to understand whether or not the answer to that's yes. For, for people that will bring to those sorts of programs and 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 other other sort of things, so I think a lot of where those questions come up from that you were just answering uh, asking Scott is is people that actually confuse those two modes, um, and I think it does go back as well to this idea of you know folk kind of glossing over the uh, you know twenty five or thirty years of, of history of people you know trying to get bond disclosure right and and mm -hmm. you know not so far succeeding but making little steps of progress, but then kind of just skipping to the end game where they feel like I should be able to talk about whatever I want. So as an influence to bug crowd directly, is there any way that I can challenge you here live on air to go to your people <clears> and say, listen, we are, a, we are, we are a community, you know, we are crowdsourcing, AKA community. Can we reach out to people that have been deplatformed in the past for bug bounty releases and disclosures and reach out to them and say, you know, you're welcome back into the fold. You know, it, it seems kind of against the grain, if you will, for, for lack of better words. To no, look, on, honestly, I, 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 I understand the question. I think, I think the way that you're framing that is, is pretty kind of broad brush and a little bit overly simplistic. Like we work it real is. hard on that stuff, but I think off the back of, off the back of this conversation, I'll, I'll go back to the team and have that conversation. I'm um, not you. about saying, cool, like we're going to let everyone back in, but right. to say, hey, like, let's have a fresh look at this and, and see if there's anything that we can resolve and make, make better. Or maybe well, even a method for when people do get uh, deplatformed, either justly or unjustly, for them to be able to uh, uh, reach out and try to get back in, like have like an adjudication like a, method. A rehabilitation so, program. That's what you, you, you could You could say that, but I think it's a little bit more... Uh, um, I think it's a little New bit ones. more, yes, than just rehabilitation. Yeah. And I think rehabilitation is not the right word for this. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll kind of end that to say that like, there is recourse for that. Like the, you know, the, the support team, the, the opportunity for mediation, um, you know, again, in public programs. So the, the private ones that we're doing, we've basically gone, to, to lengths to, to make sure that the folk that we invite into those programs are the ones that understand that like that's sort of out of scope for this one. We're bringing you in, like there's going to be a set of rules that you have to follow that are going to be different to what we believe is, is how, you know, the regular internet works in, in, in that sort of sense. Um, but, you know, the, the idea of uh, mediation in, in those, those public programs and, and the teams that, that, you know, receive those requests and go into bat and try to, try to smooth everything over we've we we're pretty busy with that and and we actually have really good success um there's there's definitely a failure bias on on the stories that that you know end up getting out that people end up talking about um because you know folk are i think more predisposed to talking about the stuff that goes wrong than than the things that work out well
While while we're on the topic, Casey, could you just briefly, you know, not not in terms of rehabilitation or remediation or, or you know any of the you know whatever we call this program to bring people back in the fold can you just touch briefly on sort of the the concept that i introduced at the top of the segment that pci for you know specifically or for example requires qualified testers yes. you know, what do you guys what do you guys do at a high level to to vet you know the crowd yeah, for sure. You know, it, it's it's really it's two dimensions. It's skills and trust. So you know, what what do people know? What have they demonstrated the ability to do? And what kind of technology contexts do they have? So is this someone who's mm -hmm. experienced in you know payment gateway, um, you know architecture, for example, or you know particular languages, um, you know so on? We've got a, a basically system that we refer to as CrowdGraph. Um, that's effectively you know a, a skills map of the different people that we've got on the pro the program and the idea is to get the the right people you know connected to the uh, to the environment that they're going to be testing on the other side of that there's trust um you know, trust in part goes to um you know how long have we known this person for like you know what have we seen go on on the platform um it ranges all the way from we don't know them from like adam or eve uh, because it's a it's a vdp and it actually doesn't matter uh, it's just you know information coming in from the outside world, right up to okay we've you know progressed them through um, you know private invitations we've extended you know the offer to go through a background check. Um, there's things that we we do in addition to that, and really what you end up with is, is the spectrum of of levels of trust that we basically match to the needs of the customer. So if there's a, a really high end requirement, um, then we'll you know use more of those those things and, and kind of get to the top of that spectrum um if it's lower you know the advantage of, of being able to loosen um you know the the things that you need from a trust standpoint is that you actually get access to a broader variety of skills so it becomes again another one of these kind of balancing acts and these trade-offs that we uh that we help our clients through to basically get the best results we can Interesting. And of course, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't, you know, add a footnote or a, an asterisk that PCI does not actually give any type of definition of what they're looking for in terms of qualified. So it yeah, is, I it mean, is the, in the, large the, part the up to the eye of the beholder. <laughs> yeah, my understanding of, 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 of that oftentimes is that it has more to do with skill than than trust or, or like employment history and and we very definitely focus on that for everyone that we've got on the platform so if if you're getting an invite to a program that that has this I kind of requirement being, set around it we're gonna we're gonna make generous. sure that they've, they can do the right things yeah, yeah i think you're being generous you know within pci since you know i have to assess against this if you're a if you're an external third party doing a pen test it, the presumption is and and i'm reading between the lines because there's nothing written there you know if if you're a pen testing company and that's kind of what your your business is the presumption is you're qualified much more scrutiny and detail is provided because pci does allow for internal resources to do uh, the penetration testing and and even then they're looking more for uh you know logical separation between you know the developers the administrators and the ones doing the testing you know they want there to be you know some sort of line of demark demarcation so there there is an, an internal conflict of interest but that's that's yeah. about it there isn't much written down in terms of you know, motives, test, you know, uh, qualifications, certifications, you know, we, we add that as QSAs trying to come up with some sort of baseline that we can give to multiple 
you know, clients and, yeah. and, and be consistent. But it, it's not coming from the council. Ultimately, I think I think that's, that's, that's one of the interesting things about this space, because, you know, to the intent and to the letter of, of a lot of these standards, we're, we're able to, you know, sell through the, uh, the requirements, like as written, and, and, you know, I would argue, do a better job. Um, the main point of friction that we tend to have in, in the compliance space is, is, you know, the assumption that, oh, you're a bug bounty company, or you're a, like, this is a, a an approach to, to solving this particular problem that I'm not familiar with. So as an auditor, I'm going to potentially say no, which on the customer end, that puts the, the business driver for doing all of this in the first place at risk, and, and they're more likely to um, to skip it over or not see it as an option. So, you know, it, it's it's good to have the opportunity to have this this conversation around it because, you know, we've seen it succeed. Um, you know, we've, we've built products like for the express intent of actually making it succeed. So we, this is a thing that we do well, you know, working with like MasterCard and, you know, a bunch of other organizations that actually do it for the express purpose of, of satisfying these types of requirements. That to me is not really, you know, up for question in terms of if there's problem solution fit, it's more around like, do people actually get that? And is there, is there so much, you know, confusion and noise, I think to some of the stuff that we've talked about earlier on. Um, that it kind of drowns that piece of it out. Right. Hey, Josh, can I get you to uh, uh, read the Beers Newbie comment from Discord? This it is, looks like this is the guy coming fantastic. over from Twitch, it looks like. Yeah, yeah. So, so the deal is, and he, he wrote something interesting. He said, look, you know, and, and his, I assume it's a him, sorry, Beers, uh, their, their point about um, you really have to show the impact for the, uh, for the, hacker one or bug crowd or whomever, or even a direct client to determine, wow, I care about this. And that's a really good point, I think, because if you don't show impact, they don't care. They don't, it doesn't reel to them. But uh, Beer's, uh, Beer's point in this case is that, you know, it, it also works for the the crowdsourced bug platform, bug bounty platform like hacker one or, or, or bug crowd in that if you, you know, he's, he's, uh, they say that they've got a lot of times had their findings marked as informational and duplicate, and you have to show impact. That impact has to apply to those definitions of vulnerable for that client. And uh, since you have to push your bug as far as you can, hoping that it qualifies, doesn't that count as gambling rather than freelance pen testing? Yeah, it, it, this actually goes back a little bit to something that you, you were saying before, Josh, around... Um, you know, the like going after like the hardcore issues or, or the things that are yeah, higher yeah. impact versus doing doing vulnerability assessment. Like m my observation is that um, you've got kind of spectrums of of appetite of of testing across the across the community, and it's interesting because it gets reduced back to oh, like this is a good hunter that can create good impact, or this is like someone who's kind of newbie or whatever. That's yeah. you know going after kind of low low hanging fruit. I don't think it's that simple. I think I think some folk are just better at you know creating workflows and looking for issues that that are you know comparatively easier to to confirm, um, but then probably going off and looking for them in places where other people haven't. Like that's that's something that we see a lot, right? And then you you get others that you know they're just thinking about like the way I think about it is people that kind of sy symptomatically hunt. Um, then there's people that tend to come from a development background that understand what the symptoms infer about the, the underlying architecture. So they start to think, you know, second and third order in terms of chains that they can create. And then you get the folk at the, at the kind of the top of the group who are just thinking about the gold. Um, and, you know, for them, like technology and, and process and the different things that might be involved in, in getting from A to B are, are kind of transparent to them almost. 
Um, but really, it takes all kinds, right? Because if you're just going after the top stuff, or like the, the stuff at the top of the, the group that I just kind of laid out, then you're right. going to miss all the other things that create a reputational issue or could get chained together into something bigger in the future, like all of those different things. It's not just one bucket of, of, of issues that need to be addressed. It, it, it's interesting. I used to just asked, you know, so they put in all this work and, and not knowing if it's going to pay off, you know, even though it is a vulnerability, it still might not pay off. So you put in the work to find them, that's gambling. Then you put in the work to report them and not know if they're going to pay off, that's gambling. That's what they're saying. I'm like, all right, so is Bitcoin mining gambling? Because you put in all this work, you might not get a, a reward of the, the Bitcoin mining. Okay. And uh, that, I said, is Bitcoin mining gambling? They said, yes. And it's it's fascinating the 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 mindset, if you will, that this is a gambling endeavor, not just a, a work thing. If that makes sense. Uh, yeah. I, 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 sorry, I, I, I'm just stuck on that a little bit. I no, for sure. I I, I get that. I think um, the so you know to call it out and and to speak to what I was I was saying just before. Like we do run programs where it's basically you know the engagement model is is like pay for effort or pay for completion of task as opposed to reward for success um right. you know, one of the reasons for that as, as we just talked about is is to be able to speak to methodology uh in in a way that's you know easier to understand on the customer side the other reason for that on on the hunter side is to basically give opportunity for people to have this particular issue right so if if you're not comfortable with with basically competing to find issues uh in 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 like the classic kind of pace pay for success bug bounty model like your option is to just not do it like you don't have to do it there's no twist no no, no. Agreed, 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 agreed. But, what, but what we wanted to do was to create an outlet for that and actually give give people the opportunity to pursue um you know more things uh in in different ways from an engagement standpoint so to so so to clarify hopefully for others edification but but me in particular i'm curious um is it typical uh for your company or for a bug you know, a, a, a bug bounty type of company to pay out to the their researcher that's found the something uh, strictly based on what the ultimate customer thinks about the vulnerability, or do you guys sort of introduce your own sort of threshold or criteria or, or milestones that? Yeah, so that's 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 where the that's where the VRT comes in to try to standardize that as much as possible. So we use that okay. to, to level set with the customer when we bring them on. Um, you know, the other thing that's that's a pretty like hard and fast requirement is that if there's classes of issue or, or particular types of, of vulnerability that um, you know, the recipient's not interested in receiving, like you should say so. So so you'll see that you'll see exclusions in the brief, all those different things. Mm -hmm. They're still going to take that information on. But it's laid out very clearly that like this is not the stuff that we're wanting to attract nor that we're wanting to, to actually pay for um from from my perspective you know this is where i think you can get into an argument of the toss quite a bit on this one but um you know that's at the discretion of the people that are paying for for, for what gets submitted to them like the thing that we try to create accountability around is saying so in advance so that the expectations mm -hmm. are aligned and, and people can kind of opt out yeah, I think that maybe maybe the disconnect just from this conversation, maybe the disconnect is that security researchers, what I've seen is they really depend on that third party um, to bring themselves and the company together and that there's some sort of um, uh, like like during triage and things like that, that the triage folk yep. might say, no, really, 
this really is an issue. And I think maybe that's where the community's disconnect is. I think that that's their expectation is for like a, a bug crowd to like have, have their back on something that's legit. But then the, um, uh, and kind of almost uh, to be that medium to educate that company on why that would be a legit finding. Yeah. Um, yeah. But those companies are the ones that per these different requirements, they do, they are able to define what's important to them. And, but that's for 30 years, that's what's been wrong, right? With submitting stuff. D- does that make sense? Yeah, no, 100%. It, it's, you're right like it's an interesting challenge to solve you know one of the things that we that we that we don't do ever is is you know delete issues um in in that sense like the 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 triage process when you think about it there's you know especially in the context of of again a public program where you're effectively listening to the entire internet right like there's a lot of noise um so our, our, our job is to yeah, jump into on the other side yeah, of that as, where you're as, trying to take a look at that stuff um and i've yeah, been in the not triage for like bug crowd but like i've a long time ago been in the knock yeah. where you're you are triaging a lot yeah. of noise into legit stuff and so i totally yeah. get it there's humans and, like and, totally get that. go on sorry and there's a massive there's a there's a massive spectrum of the nature of that noise too like there's there's right. folk that uh, uh you know trying to exploit the process there's people that you know get a 11 out of 10 for enthusiasm, but maybe a three or a four for, for effectiveness, uh, like in terms of like where they're up to in, in hacking and, and getting this kind of information across, like part of what we do with those folk is try to educate them and help them get better. Um, and you know, that's, that's so they can work with us and it's so they can develop their own career as well. So there's a lot of different aspects to that. Um, but you know, going back to what you're bringing up around triage, like we're not actually gatekeeping that, like what we're doing what we're doing is trying to like surface and identify the things that are most um, important for the recipient to, to act on first based on our, you know, assessment uh, and based on looking at what all's going on, you know, across their entire program, not just an individual report. And then all of the other programs that are happening at the same time, which is where, you know, a lot of what we've done with the, the platform and, and the data science uh, side of things has actually helped out with that. So there's a lot more going on where, you know, I, I think to your point, this idea of a conversation, it's like being the sound guy at a, at a rock concert, right? Like you, you only notice they're there when they screw up or, or when something goes wrong. Um, I think, you know, being in the middle from a triage standpoint in particular is, is, a, is kind of similar. Um, yeah, totally. And, you know, what I, what I get to see and, and, you know, the kind of people that we've tried to bring into Bug Crowd to actually do these types of jobs, uh, you know, is this incredible commitment to, to balance and fairness um, on both sides and, and to support the community, to support the customer, to try to basically, you know, walk that tightrope and, and get things right. Um, you know, when we, when we screw it up, which does happen from time to time, we'll, we'll come in and correct it you know as quickly as possible and and you know do that in a way as that's as transparent as we can we can be um i think we've established a reputation for doing that at this point so yeah i I feel comfortable saying that um because yeah it's it's like i really think Um, that maybe almost uh expectation setting needs to happen um as well uh you know you know from all sides right for the companies the third party and even the security researchers, I think, should have um, expectations set for them on how they treat triage people. Because I've seen some absolutely horrendous oh, yeah. arguing to where it gets nasty. And so I can understand in that kind of case, 
kicking them off a platform and stuff like that. And we as the public might never, ever know what the real reason was. But I've seen some some pretty nasty stuff. So it's almost like, all right, we need to establish better expectations, rules of engagement and, you know, treat these triage people as humans because they're treating you like a human too. So I kind of get all that. You, you know what I mean? I've, I've yeah. pretty much seen, <laughs> seen a lot of just. Yeah, no, yeah. And, 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 and you know, not trying to give you a, like a how to suck eggs answer on this one. It, it's more for the for the benefit of the dialogue because it, it is a hard role. It's it's one of those ones where I it think is. there's there's been um, kind of going back to what you brought up at the front end of the call. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of noise happening at the moment, and that happens from time to time. There, yeah. there, there'll be yeah. a, you know a topic that people kind of orient around. You know the uh, the whole thing kind of catches on fire for a bit and we do everything we can to listen to it but then also you know respond to it in a way that's that's like mindful to the humans that are involved and and the emotions and the different things that are happening uh, but mostly focused up on the facts and what we can actually do to improve it going forward yeah. well we've said it numerous times on this show in particular and I, I can't talk about the other shows on security weekly that technologists and business are so diametrically opposed when it comes to connecting it's not even funny and that's what a lot of the bug bounty programs are doing is they're saying, okay, you guys work on the tech, we'll bring in the business and uh, try and put the two of them together, you know, and hopefully something beautiful comes out of that. So, you know, yeah. kudos, yeah, kudos to you and bug crowd and kudos to, to the other platforms as well. But, uh, you know, is there a better way that the, that the platforms can be more transparent as to what the client is looking for? Uh, rather than just sitting back saying, "Well, go over here and look for this stuff," I, I, I think that's that's always something that can be, like, you know, as a as a computer scientist, right? Um, I'm kind of a fan of Kirchhoff's principle applied to everything. Like the enemy knows the system, right? So so any any kind of defense that relies on secrecy is ultimately going to fail, um, and I think that's kind of you know the trend that we're seeing in in terms of the breaches that have that have happened and, and how people are thinking about security overall over the past 18 months um so there's that but then there's the fact that no one's ready for that yet right so it, it, it's this idea of like how do we get from where we've been and push in that direction in a way that's mindful of the considerations that individual companies have that's you know respectful to to their audiences to their markets and and, and so on um yeah, bring transparency into it as much as possible, but obviously do that in a way that's that's um, you know serving the original purpose, which is to make sure that you can continue on as a business and do the things that you were setting out to do in the first place. So it's a, it's a it's a really interesting balance. Like the the work that we did in in um, you know the U.S. around like ahead of the the elections last year with with CISA and DHS. Um, basically putting together policy uh for for vdp on election systems in in partnership with CISA dhs and, and others like that was one of the reasons for doing that this idea of like yeah we not only need to get more eyes on these systems to make sure that vulnerabilities get found and, and dealt with but also there's this issue of like confidence um and and trust which transparency will you know arguably help with like that's an example of how i think this kind of thing can work um, so the more of that, the better, but you know, the reality is that that's a journey. Like I don't, I don't think, you know, organizations mm -hmm. are used to thinking like that for, for the better part. And, um, you know, it, it's really a, a matter of like guiding them in that process, I think. So I want to dovetail on that real quick. Sorry, Scott, I, I need to sort of start wrapping up, but I, I wanted to touch on one 
topic uh, that was one of the reasons why I asked you on the show, uh, you know, in, in our last couple minutes. It's sort of related, sort of shifting gears, but, you know, what's your experience been in terms of, you know, we've spent most, most of the time, I think, talking about how you, you know, sell the concept to your customer. What kind of experiences have you had and, and, and anybody can pipe in, you know, what, what are your recommendations on how you, you know, again, in the, in the context of PCI, uh, you're not necessarily convincing um, your, your, your paying customer, uh, uh, you know, conceptually that this is adequate to meet a requirement. You also have to convince a, an auditor or an assessor, you know, or dare I say the QSA community within PCI. What are your experiences? What do you, what do you think, you know, works there? And anybody can pipe in on, on ideas of how to, you know, get the message across that this is an acceptable, however we define penetration testing, this is an acceptable way of doing it to, to, to satisfy uh, compliance requirements. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll, I'll jump in. You know, one of our, it was probably our fourth or fifth program that, that we ran back as a, a baby startup. Um, you know, having come out of, of doing a lot of stuff in, in, in PCI and, and specifically pen testing, uh, you know, got a call at, at one point from someone that I used to work with saying, hey, we've got an audit next week. Um, we need, you know, 40 or 50 hours of testing, uh, you know, mm -hmm. over a 24-hour time frame. So, like, the, the, the proposition and, and kind of the value in their mind was more the fact that we could deploy multiple people at the same time to do assurance right. work that would satisfy the criteria of a pen test within a short, like elapsed time window. Um, mm -hmm. And we did it and it worked and there was findings and, and they, they fixed those things quickly and they passed their audit. So like that was, you know, this is 2013. Um, I think honestly, like wow. some of the, some of the noise and like expectation around what a bug bounty is and isn't um, has actually gone and, and kind of added confusion to that. But like at that point in time, it just kind of sailed through and everything was fine. So. Wow. All right. Well, as I alluded to, you know, we, we sort of need to, to wrap up here. Uh, it's been a great conversation, Casey. I appreciate it. Uh, you taking the time out of your busy late evening or morning, uh, whatever it is. Uh, uh, any final thoughts, any final words? I'll give you the last, the, you know, the last uh, word here, Casey. Yeah, for sure. I look, really appreciate y'all having me on. Um, it, it's definitely uh, morning or evening or, or, or some sort of time of, of the day. <laughs> Afternoon. Here at this point. Um, <laughs> it's, it's actually 3.30 in the morning is, is, oh, the, is the time here. Um, so that's, that's, all, that's all good. But, it, you know, been a pleasure to chat. I think, you know, for, for listeners, um, honestly, like second, if you've got assumptions about, you know, the applicability of a model like bug crowds, you know, I guess relevance to, to satisfying compliance with your, within your organization. Like we've put a ton of work into, into making it happen and making it as frictionless for you all as possible. I think Jeff, to your question just now, like making sure that it's not just something that your audit is going to be comfortable with, but something that, you know, you can get signed off on within the organization um, in terms of like sure. selling it internally. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, reach out, uh, Casey, Casey at bugcrowd.com, um, you know, we're at bugcrowd.com. I'm on Twitter and all the other things. Uh, happy to have to chat to anyone that wants to dig into that further. And frankly, like looking forward to the opportunity to learn how to do this better and more 
from from folk that are interested like that's something that we've always really valued like it takes a crowd is, is something that we always talk about and that applies to you know building products and and you know being more effective in the market as well so your your crowdsourcing what do they call it uh pro- product management product marketing <laughs> as, as, dude as well i tell you what if, if you got a hammer everything starts to look like a nail so there is that Gotcha. <laughs> All right. Well, Casey, again, thank you. Uh, it's going to wrap for us today. Be sure to tune in next week. We're going to keep with this theme of having international guests. Uh, and, and it's actually in response to a, a listener request who said, hey, could you cover ISO 27000, one and two and so on and so forth. I'm certainly not an expert, but I reached out uh, and was able to procure the time of Wim Reams. Uh, he is CEO, founder, principal consultant of Wire Security, BVBA, which I think is probably the Belgian equivalent of LLC. I haven't Googled it yet. Um, he's the past chairman of the board of ISC Squared, been around in the business a while, pretty active on Twitter. Uh, hopefully he's getting better because he's currently dealing with, I believe, a torn retina, not to put his uh, business out there, but you know, make sure everybody's thinking of him so he's on the mend. But we are going to tackle ISO 27000 X, Y, and Z next week on Security and Compliance Weekly. Stay safe, stay secure, stay compliant, keep building those bridges and tearing down silos. We'll see you next week.